0: Hello. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. Hello. Hello, please, enjoy yourself. Enjoy. That's, <laughs> that's what all the sound enjoy guys yourself. used to do.
2: Chicken pot pie.
1: Yeah, chicken pot pie.
2: All right, man. Ryan Ross. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm, I appreciate I'm it. I'm glad you're here, buddy. Yeah. You have had many hats. You have done a lot. I have. But you currently, you have Good Hike reality. I do. You were the realtor when I bought my house. And you have,
0: what else do you have going on? So we have,
1: we have an office here in Atlanta. Um, we also have an office in Asheville. Yeah, We're starting our own brokerage in Asheville. We're a part of kind of my friend and mentor's brokerage here in Atlanta. He's kind of been a really good advisor to me over the last few years. Yeah. And so we're starting that arm in Asheville. We also do some small property management as well with short-term rentals.
2: Yeah. How long or when did you get started doing real estate?
1: Officially started in 2013. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Cuz I've known you at least a decade.
1: Yeah, and I was uh, I was telling Wes yeah. Last night, I was like, Josh helped me get ready for my first headshots. Yeah. When I was getting licensed.
2: I, I remember. Yeah. And it was, it's so wild just to see you grow from then to now. So you've been in it for a decade. Yep. And you're, you've been uber successful.
1: Up and down, but yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the trajectory has been.
2: Well, nice. I would consider it successful, especially navigating a pandemic. Yeah. And still coming out the other side of it.
1: Yeah. And when I got into the business, we were still very much at the bottom end of the disaster of 2008. Yeah. And uh, had a lot of criticism. And why are you getting into this business?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just didn't listen to any of it.
2: Do you think, could you compare? 2013 to now as, you know, like how the housing crisis is, it's not a crisis, but how housing's kind of cooled off recently?
1: No. No? Not at all? No. It's still in way higher demand than it was in 2013.
2: So you are in the Asheville area and in Atlanta.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we work from Asheville all the way down the corridor to Atlanta. You know, through 985, past Lake Lanier, into Atlanta. Yeah.
2: What were you doing before you did real estate?
0: I was a traveling
1: musician.
2: What were you playing?
1: I was playing drums.
2: What was the band called?
1: Teddy and the Bears. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And then we shortened that to Teddy. And then I was a drum tech for a band called Say Anything for a while. And then after that... I think my longest tour run, I think was like 32 weeks, not consecutively, but I, you know, I was like, I can't live on the road anymore and uh, decided that I just needed to do something else and tried my hand at studio stuff and then realized that if I was going to be a studio drummer, I'd need to either live in New York, Nashville or Los Angeles. And the odds of me making a living at that were very slim.
2: It's a really hard business to break into.
1: Super hard. And I remember, I still remember this. I was looking up Ronnie Vanucci's Net Worth, one of my favorite drummers, drummer for the killers. And at the time, this was maybe 2011 or something. And his net worth was like a million bucks. And I was like, this is like the biggest rock band right now. And, it, and, that's, and that's not to like boo-hoo how much money he had, but I was like, comparatively, I was like, I could probably make that without living in a van,
2: (laughs) you know? Yeah.
1: And so I was like, okay, so then what other avenues can I take?
2: Yeah. The dream of being a musician is, I mean, it, it sounds amazing, but in reality, I think it's incredibly hard and the determination you have to be successful. It's, it's a lot. I think living on the road and grinding out like that, people don't realize how hard that is. Yeah. But if you've spent any significant amount of time <clears throat> in a van driving around, you realize how unglamorous it is.
1: Yeah. People tend to romanticize it. And it's, yeah, you're driving around in a van that isn't comfortable at all. Ours didn't have, ours had a, a broken thermostat at one time. Cool. And we were driving through South Texas with the heat on. In August. Yeah. With four dudes in a van. It was nice. It was rough. We were living the dream though, you know?
2: So did you think I gotta do something else?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. And I kind of backed into real estate in a in an interesting way. I had always loved to draw. And every time I was on the road, I had a really what really kind of got me going in in different towns was like seeing all the old architecture seeing how towns were laid out like even like middle of nowhere Kentucky oh man this this is cool how they did this and I was like I'll go to school I'll be a, um, a civil engineer yeah get learn to draft and those types of things and maybe work for like an architect firm and I talked to a mentor at the time this guy that does industrial real estate out in California. He was a family friend. And he said, don't do that because that's what I did. You're going to uh-huh. go to school for seven years. If you have a passion for design, get successful in real estate and then tell those dudes what to do. And met another worked for a luxury developer here in town that did the same thing. Uh-huh. Got into real estate, loved drafting, loved architecture. And I was like, "Well, I'll just tell people what to do to do that instead of spending thousands of dollars in school yeah. and uh, working for a firm that maybe I'll get to draw a staircase for a cool skyscraper one day."
2: That was really good advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, looking back, I, you know that really shaped the trajectory of my career.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that maybe people don't do enough of is ask questions to people in the field that they're interested in
1: yeah and I was fortunate enough that and I learned that from the music industry right so hanging out with different producers hanging out with different musicians like how did you what did you do to get here right and so I I was never really nervous about having those conversations with people I was kind of looked forward to them
2: having those conversations or it's school is not terrible and, no. it, and it has its place, but to have those conversations, you know, it could save you so much time Yeah, and effort to maybe do a shortcut to where you want to be. Yeah. So you don't want to get, spend seven years in school and then find out like, Oh, this isn't what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to do this.
1: I mean, how many of your friends do you know that are lawyers or doctors? They got into the field and then, 12, 18, 24 months later, they're doing something else.
2: Oh yeah. I see it a lot with my clients Mm of, you know, they started somewhere and, you know, maybe forced into picking a career really early on in school because Mm -hmm. you have to. And, and then graduating school, then find out once you're in it that this isn't for you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in America, like the trade school isn't really valued as high as it should be because, you know, it's, it's so valuable just to have a skill. It and is. I think that, you know, when I was going to college you know, my dad, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my dad kept telling me, he's like, if you don't want to know what you want to do, just get a business degree. And I, he told me that so many times that I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. I changed my major three or four times before you know I found hair and then dropped out, but you know, looking back on it, I was like, "I wish I would have just had a business degree. yeah, because that would have taken me so far. but you were touring, realized that I don't want to ride in a van with smelly dudes in Texas with no AC. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, maybe I'll go be a real estate agent."
1: So that it wasn't as clean as that. Yeah. I went to music school,
2: okay where
1: atlanta institute of music okay so got a certificate in music theory and then was still holding on to
0: music in some form got
1: went to a community college in union city and got my associates there because still didn't know what i wanted to do still playing music working in bars and stuff like that and at the time i was also teaching drums at a small private like music academy Mm -hmm. on the South side. And so still very much in the drum world and music world and playing with different people. And from there, I thought, well, you know, I'm teaching. Why don't I get my teaching degree? Was fortunate enough to go to the Dean at the community college there. And she was like, well, it's unfortunate, but When schools' budgets tighten, the first things to go are the arts. And that was, like, a devastating blow. Because, like, here I was, touring, trying to, like, figure out how, I mean, I've been playing drums since I was 11. But it was, like, all I was ever going to do. And so, realizing that, it's like, well, I need to support myself somehow. And I can't, if if the school system's going to potentially let me down, after I spent all this money getting, you know, a teaching degree, I need to look somewhere else. So went, got a business associates.
3: Yeah.
1: And I was like, okay, I'm going to go into music law, contract That's law. That's the thing. Contract law. Yeah. Okay. And potentially be like a, a music manager. Gotcha. A&R rep or something like that. I still was very focused on music. <laughs> Georgia State had a degree, music management degree that you could take which then could set you on the path to contract law at their law school so you'd have a focus in music management and then move on to you know pass the bar and then your resume would look really well yeah. going into like, um, if you were going to work like Capitol Records or something like that so in order to get into that program you had to get into the to the music school taught myself piano learned like a couple of snare drum music pieces and stuff got accepted into the school of music at Georgia state. The Dean of that program called me said, Hey, why don't you come to the office? And I just want to talk to you a little bit about this stuff came in. He goes, so the program that you signed up for the school actually did away with, (laughs) I, so I had spent, you know, four months with this, uh, this kid James
0: that I was in drumline with, he was teaching me piano
1: and uh, just this one piece that if I learned one piece and that, that was it, like learning to say like a phrase like in Spanish or French or something, I was like, oh, but like asked me to play anything else. I couldn't, you know, <laughs> so learning this one thing
0: and uh, I was just devastated. And it was about a week after that I saw that Georgia State had a real estate program. Yeah. Just clicked it. And that's when I have the phone call with our family friend out in California who said, you know, don't go to engineer school. Yeah. Do this.
1: Jump forward first like month in school in like real estate 101. And I'm in like my mid twenties at this time. I had gone to college, dropped out, gone to college, dropped out and failed out. You know, I'm going to be a rock and roll guy. I don't need this stuff. And it was front row asking questions like young kids, like all around me and stuff. And afterwards the teacher calls me up. She goes, have you done real estate before? And I said, no, never. She goes, you realize that you're in like the number four program for real estate in the world. And I was like, like, no, (laughs) just like a, just happy to be here, just happy to be here, bud. You know, (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah ended up sticking out, and I was like one of eight to graduate in our program and still keep in touch with a few of those kids.
2: Nice. Did they... people that started that program with you?
1: I think it was like 24, and either they changed halfway through or they were graduated before me or after me.
2: Okay. Well... That's pretty impressive. I had no idea Georgia State was known for that. Me neither, man. (laughs) So.
1: It it may be a different rank now, but this was back in, you know, 2010, 11.
2: Well, that's surprising and it's good to know because I feel like real estate has this reputation kind of similar to hairstylist where, well, if you don't know what you want to do, just go be a real estate agent, go be a hairstylist. Right. No, it's kind of like this nonchalant, like, career choice. Right. But, you know, you have the type of personality where you've been really determined and dedicated to being an amazing agent, and you've really been successful. And I think the same applies to hair. If you're determined, then you'll be successful.
1: But Yeah, I mean, seeing you start from where you originally were now to having your own place. I mean, and you've just stuck with it, and you set your sights on it, and you didn't let any other noise creep in?
2: No, I definitely let noise creep in my head. Oh, yeah. And I've always doubted myself. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I'm a sink or swim type of person. Just said, fuck it, a lot of times I'm going to go for it. And, you know, most of the time it's worked out. Yeah. but. To get to where I'm at now from, you know, where I started, it's a huge jump, yeah. but you know, it's just been little steps along the way.
1: And did you find yourself struggling with like imposter syndrome and stuff like that?
2: Oh yeah. I was just talking about this with Blake on another podcast, how imposter syndrome, it has to be in every single field. Yeah. Everywhere. And how do you actually like conquer it. That is you know i don't really know maybe it is you know some narcissistic self-talk to where you you have to talk yourself out of it and realize that everybody struggles with it but i've definitely had imposter syndrome today yeah. i'll have one bad day and i'll question you know why the hell am i even doing this
1: yeah we have that too man and yeah. it's you know my, my wife is my business partner. And I'm very, without her, I don't know if I would have had, if we would have gotten this far. She works so hard behind the scenes and is the brains behind all of the branding and has really, I guess,
0: sped things up in, in this, on this path. But
1: I struggled with that so much. And really, it's been like the last, maybe eight to 10 months where I've actually started to believe that I'm good at this job. And no matter how much volume I was doing, no matter how many personal referrals I was getting, no matter how big of a deal it was, you know, closing like million dollar stuff and I'm still like, oh, I just got lucky, you know, like they, it was just because I was just in the right place at the right time. It's never, well, maybe you actually know what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. people trust you. Yep. And then, you know, and then it's, you start, for me, I started realizing that. If people actually like me and if they actually trust me, if I'm actually good at this, what would happen if I believed it? Yeah. Because I know what the other story is and it's exhausting.
2: That's a great approach to it. Yeah, And I think maybe because of, you know, the stereotype that real estate agents and hairstylists have where it's, oh, it's not a serious career. Maybe that makes you have more imposter syndrome when you actually are successful at it. Right. You tell yourself, well, anybody could could have done this and anyone could have closed that million dollar deal. Right. You know, it's... Or maybe it's my personality type that I just am very hard on myself. But, you know, there's always good days and bad days. Yeah. Where you listen to that that negative talk more. But, yeah, I definitely have struggled with imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah. It's been just the biggest waste of time. And I'm just, I'm over it.
2: (laughs) But then, you know, some days I'm just, you, I just turn and lean into that fuck it mindset yeah you know what sure i feel like maybe one day someone's gonna find out that i don't actually know what i'm doing but you know until then yeah show goes on (laughs) on with the show yeah i've you know i've been winging it every day just you know
1: that's show biz baby yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) well at least winging it has got us here
1: yeah i mean
0: it's
2: a lot uh, it's like professional winging it
1: yes, yeah, the what is it like the let's fuck around and find out
2: Yeah, yeah. and you know there's that phrase uh, you know, fake it till you make it, yeah, which I abided by so hard early on in my career, yeah. and now I feel I hate that phrase, fake it till you make it. Why do you hate it? Because you know it I put up this front like I actually knew how to handle. Every situation when I actually didn't, okay. I didn't have the experience to back it up, you know, behind the chair as a hairstylist. <laughs> and I feel like if I was a little bit more vulnerable earlier on in my career, of just saying, actually, I'm not comfortable doing this because I don't exactly know how, I'm going to let somebody else do it and learn how to do it the right way. I would have prevented, I mean, I definitely learned from those situations. Like it was like such a messy way to learn. Like,
1: yeah, I could definitely agree with that. I mean, you're yeah, messing with somebody's hair, yeah, you know, like their appearance and stuff.
2: But you know, I feel like you can learn by faking it till you make it, but it's like a messier way to learn. Just be yeah. honest with yourself and honest with your situations. And when you don't know how to do something, spend the time actually learning it. And say that you don't know how to do
1: something. Ask questions.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel like I did that. I was fortunate enough to where I was in situations where I had people to ask. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're in any business and you're looking to start in any new field, Mm -hmm. really it's start from like the basic level. Like when I got into real estate, I started at a front desk. I was answering phones. Right. That's it answering phones and connecting to other real estate agents. Yeah. And like, I did that for a year and I learned so much and I feel like there's a lot of people that with the advent of like social media and stuff, they see, they don't see the hard work that like you've put in over the decade plus of time. Right. They just, I want the cool space. I want this. I want these amount of followers I want. And it's, it takes a long time.
2: Yeah, it really does. And even, you know, when you get it after a long time, you still, I mean, I'm still, you know, learning along the way.
1: Do you find yourself like you've got this awesome space and you're just still projecting into the future, though? Five, 10 years. Like, what's the next thing? Yeah. I always. Do too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, I think that I'm always projecting what's the next thing. I do feel like with hair, I've, I haven't done everything that I want to do, but I've accomplished a lot that I've already wanted to accomplish. So now it's more of just sharing it. Yeah. Than you know, checking things off a bucket list. Yeah. You know, I'm always setting goals for a year, five years, but I feel like my long term goals are more outside of hair.
1: What are some of those? Do you want to talk about them? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Let's put them out there.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I love building Yeah, and my father-in-law is a builder and I do want to get into that side of the industry more. I've done a couple builds with him and I just love it. I love working with my hands and actually creating like that. And <clears throat> that it's something that I can be really vulnerable with because like when you, when I don't know how to do something, and i approach him about how to do something he is so particular about doing it the right way that he'll show me how to do it the right way whereas in hair i feel like it is such more of an art that like if you don't do something the right way you can just excuse it as well that's just my technique <laughs> but you know in building a 90 degree angle is a 90 degree angle yeah there's
1: it's very certain and yeah. there's
2: codes yeah and you know Codes don't really apply to hair the way that they do to building. And so there is a right and wrong way to do things. And I really like that approach of just like really learning that side of the industry and maybe doing more with that. You know, I do want to keep this going. I love the salon in this space. I would eventually love to buy this building. Yeah, that's a big goal of mine. I think you should. mean, it's funny because I've ended up in a church now, but before I had this space, it was a big goal of mine to buy a church. And then this one kind of fell into my lap and I had to do it. So I would love to buy a church, turn into a salon, buy this building one day. If My landlord listens to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the goal, Warren. Yeah. That's- <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I always would recommend just anyone if in this line of work to be able to take control of their space.
2: Yeah, I think if as you progress as a hairstylist, you realize like you're working for somebody else. And then you start to question your commission rate. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well what would it look like if I did my own thing? Could I actually do that? Do I want to do that? Do I want to do like a booth rent situation? Do I want to own my own salon suite? And then that's that was like the natural line of questioning for me. And then I did end up in a salon suite. So from there, I was like, well, this is great, but I miss the community of other people. Do I actually want to open up a salon and deal with all that? And like this came available and I did it. So the progression as a hairstylist, there's only so much that you can do to like feel like you've done it all. Yeah. And I I've, I've kind of at that point where I'm like I've I've done booth rent, I've done commission, I've done big salons, I've done small salons, I've done like education and now I'm at this point where it's like okay. The I don't want to get any bigger. Like I don't want to, you know, have a franchise, but I do want to like fill this space with people who want to be here and who are mature enough to like be in this space. Uh, But you know, that's where I am like in the hair world. And I feel like there's not much more I want to accomplish in it other than just to share it.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of the goal and and that's how I feel in my business too. Yeah. Where now it's, I have this and now I want to teach other people how to do it because it's provided me a lot of freedom and a lot of success. And so it's like, I want
0: other people to know how to do it.
2: Does your agency
0: take on like apprenticeships? No.
1: So kind of. Yeah. What we do. So what we're doing in Asheville right now is a, is an experiment. We have a very close friend of ours who got licensed, and she is working full-time at another job. And so as an agent, it's very much you have to be all in because you're dealing with somebody's biggest purchase of their life. Right. So you can't be part-time. Yeah. Some people can be. I find that just in my personal experience that it's extremely difficult to be. So we started this, and it's not a new concept, but we started implementing this showing agent concept. So if, you're, if you work full-time somewhere else and you're licensed, say on the weekends I want to take time off, I would put them on call. If they show a house that ends up closing, I'll give them 15% of that closing. So then that helps them kind of get the ball rolling. And then yeah. it's a small incentive for them to do more showings and it puts them in front of the client and then it gets them set up in like the small things, you know, just pulling disclosures, pulling, you know, any other details that could be pertinent to the home, making sure that there's no like highway expansions that's happening to it. Mm -hmm. Small little details like that. So like you're intelligent about the showing and then it gets them in front of the client And like, I always found that like doing showings and open houses inside a house provide, they're uncomfortable if you're new. So one, the person's becoming uncomfortable and they're learning to think quickly. And that is like the best way that I've found to get somebody introduced into the business.
2: That's an interesting concept, a showing agent. So that's kind of a new concept?
0: I mean, no.
1: I learned that from a coach a few years ago um, who was trying to help us grow, and I we started implementing that in the ref, in a commission split basis. There's been showing agents since the beginning of time, but usually it's a per-door fee. Hmm. But if you're going to come onto our team... Like this is like the probationary period. Mm. And so we have a certain number that they need to do and need to close because then at that time I feel like they kinda know how to do it. Yeah. And then they'll move into an actual like buyer agent role where the split gets much more in favor.
2: Nice. So you've had a business coach before? I have. Was it were they strictly like real estate related? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I was Keller Williams has a program called Maps. Mm -hmm. That that's what I used.
2: Yeah. I think coaching is so important to level up in your business.
1: I was so against it. Really? I was so against it because it's so much money. Yeah. But it spotlights all your blind spots. For, yeah, but like the amount of money versus time put in is absolutely worth it. And I absolutely recommend people to, if they can afford to do it.
2: Yeah, I had a coach and it lined up perfectly when I was opening up this because I, it was at the end of 20, 2021. And I think it was December when I had started the initial process with this coach. And then at the first week of the year of 2022, I found out that this space was coming available. And then the next week I had my first call with my coach and I feel like I just completely dumped on them. Yeah. And because what I initially filled out for was, you know, I wanted coaching for my salon suite and first phone calls like, Hey, I feel like I'm already in over my head. I have this dream space opening up. I don't have any staff, but I can't say no to this place and I'm going to say yes to it. and help me (laughs) yeah help me and they were fantastic they like really set i think they saved me so much time in building uh just to have some like foundation of like how to run my business yeah uh, going from just me to then having a staff right and now i have a staff of five and that's a whole new ball game but
1: and because you from you being on your own for so many Uh years you probably had systems in place that you didn't realize were there that were just on autopilot. And so right. like, you needed to document those right. to hand off. And that's what we're learning too.
2: Yeah. There's, when it's just you and your business and if you're you know successful, there are those things that are undocumented processes of how you do things. But for me, that was like the best thing I could have done to be in a salon suite for three years. It was felt like I was in a dojo by myself, just. You know, I had nobody else to rely on yeah. for, you know, front desk help. Yeah. You know, that was all client interactions. That was all on me. Yeah. Like every time I formulated a color, I didn't have anybody else to bounce off an idea from. It was, you know, all on me. And whereas before you know, the salon I came from, I felt like I really relied on my coworkers. And that's really good camaraderie to have. But when you take it away, it really just kind of forces you to grow trust yourself yeah trust your education
1: what i found too from because i'm i don't really go into my office at all in Asheville. we have a home office and what i found was and i'm sure this is in your business too with real estate there's always like people that are like going to be much more showy than you are they're always going to be doing more deals Hmm. and i found for me personally that compounded on like the negative self-talk where I had to get away from it Yeah, and just tune it all out and be like I have to be my own person like even though I think what they're doing is cool
2: yeah
1: I can't mimic that
2: because it wouldn't be genuine it wouldn't
1: be genuine and we have to figure out like who what does our like ideal avatar look like as this business yeah and that Everything we need to do moving forward needs to be like on brand with that.
2: Yeah, that is that does play over to the hair industry. But definitely you will just open up Instagram and see some of these hairdressers with insane amount of followers. Yeah. And, you know, they can talk on any IG story and just have perfect diction. Yeah. And, you know, they're so camera friendly. And then you look at your Instagram or yourself and you just beat yourself up. You're like, oh, well, I'm not this person.
1: Yeah, I'm not cool. That person's cool. I can't
2: take photos of hair like that. Yeah. But really, like, you just have to, you're not that person. Yeah. And your personality is probably different and you just have to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Because everybody's different and what makes, probably what your flaw is probably your biggest strength. Right. What you think your flaw is. And, you know, if you're a quiet, reserved person, but people really trust quiet, reserved people, maybe that is your strength. Right. You just have to find a way to showcase that. Right. So, yeah, I can totally agree with that. And that leads to, you know, big self-doubt, you know, because you're not, you compare yourself to these people. Yeah. Social media doesn't help with that. It's like,
1: well, yeah, that guy closed five million already. What am I doing wrong? You know, I haven't even gotten anything under contract yet this year.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, you don't know if they cut commissions or if they, you know, are doing free deals. You don't know how long that deal has been in the works. Right. You have no idea what they've done to get there. Yep. All you're seeing is that, that golden goose at the end. Yep.
2: And you know, it could all be bullshit. You don't know. Yeah. It could all fall apart. Yep. Yeah. That's encouraging for me to hear that, you know, you know the that you struggle with that too because yeah. yeah, and I think that more people need to talk about it and realize that you know imposter syndrome just affects just about everybody in every industry. Yeah, yeah. it
1: definitely does. It definitely does.
2: So, you with good hike reality, are you mainly like cabin focused or no? No, we'll sell anything.
1: So. <laughs> And we'll advise on anything Yeah. from you were to say, Ryan, I want to buy this church. What's the deal going to be? Like how, what do I need to look for?
2: Ryan, I I, I want to buy this church. What's that deal (laughs) going to look like? Yeah.
1: So we, first we need to say, you have a commercial lender and then. Are you? uh, No, I'm not a commercial lender. You should work on that. Okay. (laughs) Get to it, man. Yeah. I've been really lazy, but no, we, the whole thing with Good Hike was it all started because Kenzie came up with the idea and it's just because of what we like to do. We love to be outside. I love to mountain bike. We love to hike. We like to camp, like to backpack, like all of these things. Like when I lived out West, I loved to snowboard every day. So it was like, that's who we are inherently. Wouldn't it be cool if we connected with people that like those things also? Yeah. And during this process, you came up, Taylor came up. I had a couple of other people that I was like, those transactions were so easy, even though buying your house, there was a lot of roadblocks along the way, but it felt so easy because like, I was already so connected with you on a different level. Yeah. And you and I have share a lot of the same interests. And I was like, so what was the common denominator in those transactions? Well, it was people that, aligned with our values. So how can we attract people that are aligned with our values? Because that's going to be the easiest thing moving forward.
2: So did you feel like with Good Hike Realty, you really started to narrow down who your ideal clientele would be?
1: Yeah. And going back to our business coach that we had, that's what he was really advising us to do was like, who is that? What does that ideal client avatar look like? Yeah. What do they do? Who do they hang out with? What do they talk about? What books do they read? What music do they listen to? Go super in depth with it. Yeah. And manifest the crap out of it. Yeah. Because it is going to make your life as a business owner much easier. Because then, as a business owner, it's so easy to say yes to everything because of a scarcity mentality. Right. Especially when you started off in my line of work in a recession you're going to say yes to everything and it's like just running in sand you know it's really hard when you are trying to scale and you're saying yes to everything
2: and then the day that you say no to something is like a huge milestone it's huge where you just say well you know what like I might not be the best fit for you. Yeah. I'm going to recommend somebody else. And then it feels really good because if you say no to the money grab, because you know, this is, you see some red flags, you're like, man, thank like I am growing.
1: Well, and it opens the door for stuff that like belongs to you. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's always going to be like those temptations that are going to try to make you slip backwards in your business. Mm-hmm. and you just got to stay focused.
2: Yep. And what I do, there are certain like red flags of things that I will say no to. Like what? Just like you can, like I have my ideal type of client. I've, I And there's certain things that just like certain types of colors that I'm like, that's not what I do. And I feel like, Maybe the type of person that wants that isn't my ideal client. Right. So, you know, super big transformations aren't really my favorite thing to do unless I really know you and know your hair. And, you know, we can, if I really know you, we can do it. But someone I don't know doing a massive transformation on, that's something I usually say no to. It's too messy for me. Yeah. But if I actually knew you and it was, you know, both planned out, then then yeah. But I'm at a point where I don't really accept a lot of new clients anymore either. So
1: I figured you'd, you achieved that a while ago.
2: Yeah, there's an occasional like a referral like of a client or a friend of a friend. That's more of a yes, but to like a, a new non-request type of client, it's usually no.
1: It's got to feel good to be in that place.
3: Yeah,
2: it is. But it's,
0: you know, I'm at a point where I don't have a lot of time available for that. But, you know,
2: saying no feels good. But I've also seen friends in the industry say no too much and have to backpedal, which is, you know, I think... The fear of, well, if I say no to this client or if I say no to money, then I'm not going to make money. What am I going to do if I don't make money? And I have to say yes. Yeah. And, you know, but if you stand up for yourself and be picky with your clientele, then it, it will pay off in the long run. But at the same time, you can't be too picky.
1: Yeah. And it's important to know where is the no coming from? Yeah is it ego involved or is it like a really a gut hit? Yeah.
2: Yeah. The brokerage part of your business. Mm -hmm. Why do that?
1: So we want to open our, we're going to be formulating this in June. We're in the process of doing that. Mainly because we want kind of full creative control over it. And also we love the brand. In North Carolina, that we're with, and you know, the founding father of Keller Williams is very smart. And if anybody's interested in getting into real estate, absolutely read all of his books. They're fantastic help, and it's the roadmap. You don't need to think; just do it. But we really just want to be our own boutique brokerage. You know, we don't want to, and we do want to scale eventually. In the next, you know, ten or so years, and so it would just be a lot easier to do that on our own.
2: So, when a agency like has its own brokerage, that means that you are funding for your clients, right?
1: No, no. Yeah. So, all the brokerages, it'd be very similar to just you owning this building. Okay, and then you're, you would be a broker, and then all the other stylists in this room would be your agents. Okay. You were giving them a place to practice their craft. Gotcha. That's it. Gotcha. And then you're, I assume that there's some sort of rent or commission split involved in that. It's, it, there's so many parallels between owning a salon and doing real estate. It, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much a really close model.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So when I, or when we bought our house, We closed in March of 2020, which is a really fucking crazy time. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh,
2: We closed. I think we tried to move up our closing because none of us knew if the banks were going to close. right? And so they ended up being able to move up our closing a few days because of uncertainty. We closed on a Friday. It was super weird because they put us in two different rooms and they were like disinfecting pens back and forth. Yeah. and I've uh,
1: blacked this out, by the way, so this is all coming back.
2: Yeah, and then the man who sold our house, he was 90, Norman, and he couldn't be there because of risk. And so his daughter was there. Anyways, we closed on a Friday. I think on Monday, the state shut down like we closed yeah. on that Friday, we moved in the next day. Yeah. And then on I think Monday or Tuesday the state had shut down and then basically the world shut down. Yeah. It was really crazy times.
1: It was very crazy and yeah. the governor here deemed our business still essential because of, you know, divorce, death. Yep. Any of those things that those that still needs to keep moving. Yeah. And so being out showing property during that time was insane. Yeah. So like I would get there early, I would open the door, I would turn all the lights on and then I would walk out and sit in my car. And then the client would go in. Uh-huh. And then I would talk to them from a distance and then they would leave. Yeah. And then so there was barely any interaction. Yeah. for like the first few months. Uh-huh. And then I feel like after that people were like they started opening up a bit more about it. It calmed down a little bit, but yeah,
2: but that time was really crazy. And I wanted to talk about what it was like buying a house as a hairstylist. Yeah. Because I feel like I hear it a lot from stylists of how difficult it is to buy a home. And it was a big challenge.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, working with you and I work with some other folks. That are 1099, like in the film industry. Yeah. And the, you know, the goal is to lower that taxable income basis, right? Yeah. So you could be making a hundred grand a year, but on paper, it looks like you're making 30. Right. Because you have so much outflow going into your business. Yeah. So lenders see that and they're only looking at taxable income. They're not going to be looking at your gross. Yep. And so there's definitely products out there that, are favorable to folks that are, they're not necessarily favorable, but to help 1099 employees get funding. And from like bridge loans to private portfolio loans that, that I think you guys did. Yeah. And so you took it on I think potentially at a higher rate, but was that correct?
2: No, we, I don't, we didn't do a bridge loan. But we, because we got a really low interest rate. Right. Because it was at like peak low rates. Right. But like our situation was unique because we bought a house with my mom. Yeah. And so we had a really large down payment. Right. But that is the only way we were about, we were able to buy our house with a conventional loan.
1: That's right. Because I think before she stepped in, he had you in a portfolio loan. Yeah and then once we figured once you guys sold the other house yeah the down payment came in
2: right but we it was a unique situation cuz like me and destiny had great credit but with little down payment yeah and then my mom had absolute shit credit yeah. <laughs> with a large down payment right and then we all kind of just balanced it out yeah and were able to buy our house with a reasonable down payment. Right. A conventional loan,
1: Right. And that's kind of what I've always advised people to do as a 1099. Like, keep your credit score up. And if you've got 20% down, we're probably going to be able to make something work.
2: Yeah. But is that the advice, like, that you would give, like, anybody, like, as a 1099? Save and or would you rather tell someone to save for a big down payment or maybe go for like a different type of loan?
1: So it's going to be different for each situation Yeah, and, dep- and it's all going to depend on their timing. If you're forecasting for maybe a year or two out, what I would advise anybody that's a 1099 is to start paying themselves a very livable wage. A consistent wage. A consistent livable wage yeah. of, you know, potentially 50% to 60% of your gross. Yeah. Because then a the lender is going to look at that and say, okay, they are getting a check. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that the lender was going to want to see is that you have a consistent amount of cash flow coming in.
2: Yeah. It, it's different than it's, it's not that it's consistently above a certain number. It has to be like the exact same amount of money Correct. coming in every single month.
1: Yeah. They like predictability. Yeah. And so if you can stomach that, I know it's going to probably hurt. I know some people listening probably, like, oh, it's going to hurt my, you know, my tax season. Yeah. But if you can stomach that for a year or two, it's really going to help you out in the long run.
2: Yeah. I remember being so mad when I found this out because to prove my income, I was like, well, there has never been a month where I've. Made less money than this. Yeah. But every single deposit was different. Right. Because, you know, I was just paying myself whatever I made that week. And, you know, I was, it looked like I made a lot of money, but nothing was consistent. And that was what the bank was looking for was like consistent monthly income.
1: Yeah. And there's been some improvements of that. Yep. I don't know why, but I think there's just been a lot more the popularity of 1099. Yep. Has grown and lenders have tried to figure out how to be helpful. So I know that there's more products out there that are more favorable for 1099 folks. Yeah. The other scenario, if you can't stomach that, you're like, no, I don't want to pay myself that. I've got a good system going. This works for me. Save the down payment. Yeah. Because it's going to be really hard if you're coming in to your home purchase and you have that 20% liquid ready to go for a lender, and you have it documented on how it got there, that's an important step. You can't just put money into your bank account. (laughs) You can, but they're going to want to see. And then that's another tricky thing too. There's a limit on how much cash you can deposit every week before it sends up red flags and you have to start to declare it. And I don't know what that is Hmm. anymore. I used to know it from working in bars. Right, it was like five grand a week or something like that before the IRS would ask you. I don't. I'm pretty hey, sure that's different. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's your good buddy.
2: Oh, the IRS. Yeah,
1: and yeah, so you can do that, and I, that's probably changed now. So don't take that for gospel. Yeah. And then the other thing is get a cosigner. Yeah. If you've got a family member or even a, f- a friend yeah. that has outstanding credit. They have a W-2 job. If your partner has outstanding credit in a W-2 job, yeah. uh, consider putting them on the note as well. Apply with them. And we've been able to do that. Yeah. I had a crazy story. Two of my friends, uh, a married couple, both in the film industry, pandemic. They applied for a loan got it and then the film industry stopped. Yeah. And so they're like, hey so just show me like this week's deposit and he was like, I lost my about, job. I lo- last week? We have no money coming in and we don't know when it's going to come in. Yeah. And Mark was doing that loan and God bless him. He was like, alright, here's what we're going to do because that dude has a perfect track record so he's going to keep that track record and he, those folks ended up doing a co signer. The mother in law co signed on the house. Yeah. Didn't put any money down. They had the down payment themselves. Um, so that could be a good option for folks.
2: Yeah. I think people realize the, uh, how much that can help people just by having a co signer with good credit. And I think that's, you know, opens up a lot of doors, especially for hairdressers.
1: It does. Yeah. And I know. P- People might get hung up on it where, well, I don't want them on the deed. I don't want them to be tied to my living space. Then what's the point? I'll just rent. It's the same thing as a landlord. Yeah. Depends on the relationship you have with that person. Yeah. If it's a toxic relationship, I absolutely wouldn't advise doing that. But all of their saying, all that is doing as a cosigner is just saying, if I default, this person vouches for me. But you're not going to.
0: Yeah. And that's it. And I forgot
2: that this had happened until you had said that when we closed on our house, you know, that Monday, we pretty much lost our jobs. Yeah. Both of us. Yeah. And it was one of those situations where I just had to laugh about it because we just made the biggest purchase of our lives. Yes. And now neither one of us can go to work and you know there was some grace there because when you buy your house and it's usually the way it worked for us is like we didn't have to make our first mortgage payment for almost two months
1: yeah it's usually about 60 days because that yeah. that down payment yeah wraps it all in
2: yeah and so there was just kind of this well now i can't go to work we're going to be just moving into this house and doing projects and trying not to go crazy during quarantine.
1: Yeah, you built a table. You turned me on to Mick Ultra. <laughs> it's
2: the only thing that kind of kept me sane was like crushing Michelob Ultra. Yes. Every day.
1: Volume beers. Yeah,
2: definitely. Speaking of, I've... Been doing this thirty-seven hair challenge where I haven't been drinking this much. with Amber, right? Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Yeah, I heard about that.
2: It's been great. And there's there are a couple Michelob Ultras. Oh, I love the siren pass. There's a couple Michelob Ultras that are in my beer fridge in the garage. Every once in a while, I'll open up that fridge and see it and be like, "Oh yeah, I'll I will see you in February." <laughs>
1: Hello, old friend.
2: Yeah, it's been a good break.
1: Yeah. I've found that
0: with drinking, it, it's becoming a take it or leave it. Yep. And I don't, I mean,
1: it's obviously aging. Like I just, I'm not as limber anymore the next day. Yep. I do love to go out with friends and like tie one on properly. Yeah. But they're very spaced out yeah. now those Int- times. Intentional. Yeah. Very intentional. Yeah. like, I I was always the guy that was, if I'm cooking dinner, like I'm having a bourbon or a cocktail while I'm cooking. Yeah. Not much anymore. Yeah. Kind of, I don't know if it's a season for it. I mean, springtime could show up and I could take my top off, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just haven't really been too interested in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It could be seasonal for me as well, but it's been a huge eye opener going through this just this challenge and mm-hmm. drinking and realizing that, oh, a lot of my drinking was just habitual.
1: Yeah, it and is.
2: And now I've just uh, kind of replaced it with some better habits and realizing that like drinking, like I do miss it. Like I miss like having a date night and having a glass of wine. Yeah. But I've found that like, this is just habitual, a lot of it. A lot and, of it is, uh, yeah. I definitely feel better without it.
1: You, you find it like sleep's better. and Oh my God, yeah. You yeah. sleep great. My Yeah, my sleep has been better. Food cravings are different. Yeah. Attention span during the day yeah. is much better.
2: Yeah, the only thing I've noticed that's kind of a drawback is that the amount of sugar that I crave, it's pretty crazy.
1: I've heard that from other people too. Yeah. And I have a huge sweet
2: tooth. Yeah.
1: But it actually went down when I stopped really? consuming on a habitual basis.
2: Yeah, I have to just kind of like also find healthy replacements for that. What are you doing? Let's see, like my favorite like treat is a Sprite Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I mean, that can't be that much better, but at least it's like sugar-free. Yeah. But that's enough to like hold me over.
1: Yeah. I went to there's this brand called think yeah and they do these protein like keto bars yeah and like I've had those yeah those those replaced it for me Uh uh-huh for my sweet tooth and then you look at what's in them you're like this is terrible
2: yeah I'm just not gonna read that
1: yeah I'm just (laughs) I'm
2: gonna gonna pretend like this is healthier yeah this
1: is healthier but yeah my sweet tooth has gone down I mean but man there's there definitely are days when I want to smash a box of cookies
2: oh yeah if I have a cheat day, like, I just go all out. Do you do a
1: full cheat day or, like, a cheat meal?
2: If I'm going to have a cheat day, it's all day, baby. It's waffles <laughs> for yeah. breakfast. It's, you know, all, it's breaded sandwiches. That's a lot of bread. A lot of bread.
1: Yeah, I find that, like, that's... Definitely
2: pizzas in there, too.
1: Oh, yeah, pizzas. Uh-huh. I made... So, my buddy... Uh, Terry has a huge compound down in Brooks, Georgia. Yeah, has this sick outdoor kitchen. Made my he made dough and I made my first pizza in his brick oven pizza. Sweet, it was the most fun. Yeah, I've had it in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was like just pizza party, like grown up style.
2: So, what kind of like setup did he have?
1: So he has, I'll show you pictures of it, but he has like a, a wood fired pizza oven uh-huh. on one side and then like full island like prep station sink he's got a santa maria grill which if you've been into
0: what's that that steakhouse on the belt line no the two bone or
1: right right there i forget two urban licks two They've got one, so it's like all the fire below, yeah, big cast iron grate, huge. and they can raise it up and down. He's yeah. got one of those, and then he's got a big offset smoker as well.
2: So he's a professional.
1: He is definitely a professional. <laughs> he is very much a renaissance man. Cabinet yeah. maker. Yeah. He made my drums. Whoa. Yeah, he's, he does, makes beer. Like <laughs> This guy sounds great. Yeah. He makes everyone feel like shit. Oh, <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, no, you're like, you own your own business, and you do all of this stuff. and. Oh i'm like i'm tired <laughs> he just has a passion for creating and, cool. and just life yeah he's a good dude yeah. So, yeah i went over and hung out with him and he's like hey may, you know let's make pizzas and i was like okay okay
2: I, that is definitely on my bucket list i do want to make have a, my own wood-fired pizza at home Sounds yeah
1: good. yeah and it's a lot of fun doing it and then yeah if you are on any sort of like restrictions or whatever, like you can make it as healthy as you want it or as terrible as you want it. Yeah. And then I'm a big fan of knowing what I'm putting in my body because I just treated it like crap for so many years living on the road. Yep. That I'm very much want, you know, organic, you know, meats and cheeses and things like that. And Mm -hmm. if I can, if I know where the farm is great. Yeah. And if I can, I just want to get to that point where like I can everything that I'm cooking at home, like if it's from pizzas to smoking brisket or whatever, it's like I know exactly where it came from.
2: Yeah. That would be the dream for me. Yeah, that's the dream. Have you found like a local farm where you get your meat from in Asheville?
1: Yeah. So there's one in Franklin, North Carolina, called Brasstown.
2: Yeah. I think I've heard of it.
1: Yeah. So he he Do they do
2: meal or do they deliver?
1: If they do, I don't know. Yeah. There's another one called Hickory Nut Gap and they do deliver. Yeah. And they do, they used to have it before the pandemic where you could go and just be like, I want this, this and this. And now I think they just do like curated boxes. So I haven't purchased a lot of stuff yeah. from them. But then there is a couple of companies online that like I can purchase like elk from different wild game cuts yeah. from them that like I can't really source on my own.
2: I need to come up to Asheville and have you cook some elk for me.
1: I'd be happy, to. I'll be Sounds happy awesome. to Yeah, it is awesome.
2: <laughs> I've also been told, uh, Wes told me that I should probably have your father on the podcast.
1: Yeah. He- he's got some stories. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a really interesting guy. He is, man. He's he a Delta pilot for 38 years. Yeah. And before that was a C-130 pilot in the air force. and, he's got some interesting stories. Yeah, I bet he does. Yeah. He's in, he's out skiing right now. Where? In Steamboat, Steamboat uh, Springs, yeah.
2: Do you know where Taylor is right now?
1: I talked to him, yeah. I think he's in Latvia.
2: Well, he's living in Latvia, but he... And then he's doing
1: like some huge backpacking trip, right?
2: Him and his brother are skiing in the Alps right now. And cool. uh, Yeah. Cool. So in December, beginning of December, me and Destiny have this conversation of, all the house projects that we're going to do on the house this year. And I'm, I'm just looking at it, looking at our budget. I'm like, cool. Let's, let's focus on this and no more like major like expenses. Like this is going to be our focus next year. Later that day, Taylor messages me. And he's like, Hey man, let's go skiing in the Alps. Like I made this <laughs> Google doc. We can fly into Madrid. And he's, like, I've already priced it out from you from Atlanta. And it is the same price as if we were to go skiing in steamboat. If we were to fly out to Colorado, I'm like, bullshit. And he made a spreadsheet on the whole price breakdown. I'm like, damn, I love his, right.
1: I love his enthusiasm.
2: Yeah. He like, it was going to be, it was going to be just as much as a flying domestic. Yeah. And really where you were save, saving on were the uh, lift tickets.
1: Are lift tickets cheaper there? Oh yeah. Like out in Colorado, they're 250 300 a day. Unreal.
2: So I, I was like, "Damn, dude! If you would have just messaged me yesterday,
1: <laughs> six hours ago, <laughs> yeah, because
2: like I just told my wife, no major expenses. Yeah, you no, know, I'm like, I don't think I can sell this, but I told him man i 'Man, I'm gonna have to get after it next year with you because I just can't swing it right now.'
1: I really want to do a snowboard trip to either. Japan? Yeah. Or Nelson, Canada. Yeah. That's um, okay. Yeah. I mean let's do it.
2: I just got some new boots. You did? Yeah. What'd you get? Some Nordicas.
1: Nice, man. Yeah. Good
2: stuff. But I I wanna I wanna get out there. He's but Taylor just sent me some uh, videos of him out there and it just looks amazing.
1: I really want a mountain bike out there.
2: Yeah. I've seen some videos out there
1: that are just incredible. Yeah. What products do you have going on in the house?
2: Well, the uh, 80s pink carpet has lasted, you know, three years longer than we thought it was going to last. Looks great. (laughs)
1: Looks as good as the day it was put in.
2: Yeah. No, it has not. (laughs) So when we first bought our house, you know, it was an 80s time capsule. Yeah. Like, Destiny didn't know what a central vacuum system was. The little, like, the square plug on the wall with the round hole. She's like, what is that? Like, that's a central vacuum. You know, when we were touring the house, she's like, What's a central vacuum? Like, the vacuum in the basement that people used in the 80s. It blew her mind. I had no idea what a central vac was. Do you use it? It works. We haven't really used it, but it works. But no, that carpet's got to go. So that's getting ripped up this year. We're putting in some engineered vinyl floors for that. Okay. That Jerry's going to get us. And yep. then remodeling the basement bathroom and let's see redoing some of the we're going to refinish the hardwood at the entryway that's cool. got a really cool idea that i'm excited for we're basically going to be hand painting it okay but there's a, it's going to be like a checkered board design on the hardwood okay so yeah and then eventually we're going to get to the uh, the kitchen
1: I mean, but how great was it, like, for you guys to get that house and then the world shut down, you know, yeah. for the boys to have, you know, one space to learn yeah. when school went to online and then having the woods in the backyard that, like, you guys could explore in yeah. and then just having just peace and quiet for you guys could just go out and go out for walks and stuff.
2: Yeah, it was a huge blessing because we were living in such a tiny yeah. complex in the city and then moved out, the world shut down. And then, you know, we had all the space to stretch out and then just you know, kind of be in the woods. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was the one in the relationship that didn't want to move OTP, didn't want to move out outside of the city. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I can go further.
1: I, I was going to ask if, if you mind the, the commute in no, after the song. No, it's, it's like a shutdown time, right?
2: Yeah. It's totally a time to either. You know, get my thoughts together for the day or to decompress. Yeah. But in reality, like when I was, when we were living in the highlands, commuting over there sometimes took 20 minutes mm-hmm. because of traffic. Yeah. And, you know, some days you, you hit a wreck or some traffic, but it's really not that bad. Yeah. I love it. I love being like outside the city where I feel like I have some peace and quiet and not so much noise. Yeah. But yeah, I think I, I could move further. I could commute in from Colorado. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what's a big goal for you? Like do you see, you know, disco salon and like you and destiny's life in the next 10 years?
2: Actually, I think I see us outside of Georgia somewhere permanently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it would be nice to live in a different city.
1: Come to Asheville, man. The water's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. But it would be nice to, you know, try something different in a different city. Yeah. Uh, but I always think that the salon's going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's- I mean,
1: there's There would be no reason not to yeah. if you can make money off of it. And I mean, and- you've built it. And that's the whole purpose of any business owner is to build it and sell it or yeah, keep some money coming in.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I would, I I don't know if I would sell it, but I would definitely move to another city and commute in and get my systems in place to where this was properly managed, then yeah, I would totally do it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. What about you?
1: Yeah, so we want to, you know, get the systems in place to where I'm acting potentially you are acting more as a coaching role for agents. And, you know, we do have a big goal. We want to have 10 rental properties. I would love to own a commercial building much like this to have tenants upstairs, my office downstairs, and the tenants pay for my office.
2: I have a lead for you. (laughs) Thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Warren? Yeah. Uh, But I think a huge goal of ours is we want to be able to spend a month traveling out of every year. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, owning homes abroad and things like that, but like the expense that that would take, like you can go on some pretty sweet vacations. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, and we're, you
0: know, looking to grow as a family too, man. Yeah. You know, so that's a big, big exciting thing.
2: I think that that coaching or getting to the point in your career where you can become, a coach is kind of like one of the
0: ultimate goals. Damn, it's a lot truck. Mm.
2: And I, I played with that before, played with that idea of I would like to become a coach at some point, a business coach to this side of the industry. I think that would be really cool. I don't know if I could do that right now, but I think that's a goal in the back of my head too.
1: Yeah, and I think that like you spent so much time in this industry and so like how cool would it be to share your knowledge to help somebody else get to the same places and help them avoid the mistakes that, that you have made oh, yeah. along the way.
2: Yeah, I think that's like a great goal in any industry. But, yeah, yeah. I think that might be one of mine too.
1: Yeah. That's awesome, man. We gotta get there.
2: Well, by the next time we do a podcast together we'll both be uh coaches okay deal <laughs> in switzerland yes
1: Ski. yeah yeah <laughs> we gotta get taylor on
2: yeah uh, that would be a wild conversation yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> i told him the photo that i have for both of you guys on my phone is the picture that you guys sent me from winter park yeah and you just are sitting at the picnic table under for, a tree yeah under a tree that was a great day yeah and I tell him every time, like, man, I wish, like, the same deal. If you would have just told me, like, a week ahead of time. Oh, yeah, because we invited you. Yeah, yeah, A week ahead of time, it probably could have made that trip happen. And, like, you guys went, and an epic storm happened, like, the day you flew in well, or the next morning.
2: There will be no, like, I know I will never have better ski conditions than that. Because it was, like, it was still COVID time. They mm-hmm. were selling limited lift tickets to winter, right. winter park this huge storm came in and then skiing was already great but because the winds were so high at the summit they shut down the lifts to the top of mary jane and the top of winter park and so that that pissed off all the uh, you know locals who had season passes so since they couldn't go to the summit they just went home so like the already limited amount of people that were already there just went down even more. And there were just runs that I was doing where I was, we were the only people there. Yeah. It felt like we had the entire mountain. That's and an amazing experience. It, it was so cool. And there was one video I took of me just doing a whole run. I was just filming myself. Yeah. No one.
1: I ha- I've, so great. I've had that happen to, to myself once and it was Christmas morning when I lived in Colorado and I told my dad, I was like, hey, let's be like, if Lyft starts running at eight, I'm like, let's be in line at seven. Yeah. And he was like, what? No. And I was like, trust me. Yeah. And we were like third or fourth chair. Uh-huh. And I took him over to his favorite run. Yeah. And we were the only two on the run. Yeah. Christmas morning. Nobody's there. You know, very. So quiet. Yes, yeah, So quiet. And he was like, "Because that's the best I've ever skied. Yeah. He's like, I didn't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. And like when you have those moments, like when you're skiing or snowboarding, it just like the headspace that you're in is just so incredible.
2: I know. There's like a certain type of quiet when you're like on a mountain, yeah. like on a run like that by yourself. If you yeah. just stop and just like so quiet. And
1: that's what I tell people you know, when I would be like snowboarding, like on, on really deep days, like when we've got like a foot or two Yeah. and if you were in trees or anything, like you can hear your heart, Uh like just beating and you're still on the run and it's the most amazing state of flow that like you could put yourself in. And it's the, one of the, even from like mountain biking to backpacking, stuff like that, it's still one of
2: like my favorite experiences. Did you, do you think you'll ever move back out West?
1: We've talked about it. Yeah. But, you know, with the family here and us trying to grow our family,
3: yeah.
1: you know, my parents are here in Atlanta, my brother's in Tennessee, her family's in Mississippi, her mom's in Florida. Everybody being so close is awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and that's part of the goal to where we can be, we can get the business in place to where we can take a month off to go and do those things. Yeah. I don't think it's... I've never thought that, like, I used to think, like, you had to live there to do those things, but you can make, if you set your mind to it and you can just say, how can I do that? Yeah. What do I need to be able to do that? And how quickly can I put those things in place so I can do those things? Yeah. And instead of saying, I have to be here to do those things. Yep. Because, and just I change think, your mindset yeah, a just bit. change. I changed my mindset about that but maybe you know I do miss it I really have an appreciation for New Mexico and like southern Colorado like the desert areas out there yeah just really
0: beautiful piece of land
2: I know I uh, I love Colorado I think I would want to be out there one day when I'm older but it's a pipe dream
1: yeah and it was hard, man. I mean, nine months of winter was pretty rough. Yeah. One, one season, one year when I was there, the last day of snow was June 16th. Wow. The first day of snow was September 15th.
3: Whoa.
1: Yes. And when you come from the South yeah. where you have, you know, we have a wet season in the winter, but actually having a full spring and summer and fall, y- you get a little isolated.
2: Yeah. I love to ski, but I don't think I love to ski that much.
1: Yeah, when I'm seeing getting them two feet in a day, yeah. it makes me miss it. But yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, man. All this, right, this was really fun.
1: This is glad. I'm glad I came down. I'm really glad I we didn't do this over Zoom or something.
2: I know, like I, uh, I'm really glad you wanted to do this in person. I, I, I had to. to and, I had uh, to. I did want to try doing one through Zoom. I haven't done one yet. There's this app called Riverside. No. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. were telling me about that. It's so great. Like, I'll have it, to it's, look at that. If you, if you ever do one with your podcast, okay, definitely do Riverside. Okay, like it's the audio quality is so clear. I've actually like some of my musician friends. One that lives in LA. One that lives here, but we'll play together. Really? On that, and it's so good that the latency is like barely there. like You can do it. I just use my my focus right here. Okay. And I have a compressor mic. Okay. I have one compressor over my drums and then I have a MIDI plug-in into my microphone and yeah you can play with friends over. It.
1: Dude, that's incredible. Yeah. What a, cool. what a time to be alive.
2: Crazy. <laughs> if only that existed during lockdown. Right. Yeah. It's pretty cool.
1: Reminds me of that uh movie oh, was it like rock band with rain wilson or something
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was a good movie
1: yeah awesome man well thanks for having me on i You're appreciate welcome, it man. and the space is beautiful i'm good. so proud of you and i'm so excited to see what you do
2: thanks man yeah let's let's figure out how we can buy this okay Enjoy let's do it we'll talk more